We're going to be in 1 Peter, the first Peter book to the New Testament, 1 Peter. Uh, Chapter 5 is actually where we're going to be. And if you see behind me, you'll notice that we are starting a new series of discussions um, entitled Triggered. Triggered. You see, a lot of us uh, in our society today, it seems like everyone's getting offended and uh, everyone's getting their feelings hurt and um, everyone just wants to shout their own opinion and tear each other down. And there just seems to be a whole lot of division in our world today. today, And uh, people just seem to be stirring up chaos And uh, perhaps there's some of you in this room who have felt like that, that perhaps the world just seems weighted down by fear or worry or concern or depression or even anxiety, and uh, maybe you felt that way. Maybe you felt that you're just like one political view away from being triggered. Uh, And so that's what we want to talk. And the question is, is like, how do we find peace in the midst of our cultural chaos? How do we... um, how do we defeat this worry and anxiety that seems to be just wrapping our world today? How do we actually take back our minds? So that's what this series of discussions is going to be about, Triggered. How do we actually begin to take back our minds? We're going to be discussing this for a few weeks. Bless you. That was a gnarly sneeze. That was awesome. First uh, Peter, did you find it? First Peter chapter 5. Uh, I brought two Bibles because I'm preaching twice as long and I'm twice as holy. So deal with it. First, first Peter chapter 5. Are you there? Did you find it? We're going anyways. Let's go. All right. So verse 5 says this. Likewise, you who are younger, subject yourself to elders. Subject yourself. You who are younger, subject yourself to authority. There's nothing to do with what we're going to talk about tonight. I just thought it was nice to share. So, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Verse 7, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Ooh, I like that one. Verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Verse 9, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after, this is crazy, after you have suffered a little while, God's going to rescue you. God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Verse 11, to him be the dominion, the power, the authority forever and ever. Can I get an amen? Amen. That was a long one. Thank you for sticking in with me on that one. Uh, Have you ever been intimidated by someone? Or or maybe even, have you ever been scared of someone before? And I'm like a a real person, not like like the boogeyman or not like the the mouse mascot at Chuck E. Cheese. That thing is frightening, you guys. Have you, have you been to a Chuck E. Cheese and see the mouse? That's scary. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a real life. Has anyone ever been scared of a real life person before? Just a show of hands. Yeah. I have before. And her name was Miss Pinnock. Miss Pinnock is who I was scared of. And so she was my high school English teacher. And uh, just to give you a little context about her character, she was a stone cold woman. Ice ran through her veins. And uh, we were convinced that her job description was not to teach, not to educate her kids. Her job description, we were convinced of this, was to make freshmen cry. That was her job. We were totally convinced of that. And um, 
it, like, oh, I love Miss Pennant because she would give you the look. If it, did anyone go to Wiley in here? Any Wiley people? One. Wow. Animosity. God forgives you. Anyway, so Miss Pinnock, this she was older, and she would, like, if you made a noise in her class, she would give you the, the eyebrow and the look down. You know what I'm talking about? Like the fiercest look in the entire world. Everyone, literally everyone, was scared of her. And uh, I remember one day in class, we had a book report on The Grapes of Wrath. Anyone ever read that book? I don't recommend that's a dry one. Anyway, we had a... Uh, it's not about fruit, by the way. Yeah, so we um, had this book report based on the grapes of wrath. And um, I remember, we tur- it was like an eight-page paper or whatever. We turned it in. And uh, Miss Pinnock, what you didn't know about her is that she turned in papers. I don't care how big they were. She turned them in the next day. So we were convinced that she lived at the school. And all she did all day long was just grade papers, slept at the school, woke up, and tortured us. That was her job description, like I said. And so we finally, the next day, we get our papers back. And everybody gets their grades, and she hands me the paper, and in red ink at the very top, there's no grade, it says, see me after class tomorrow, bring this paper with you. And I thought, that's it, I'm dying tomorrow, that's it, I'm done, like, I'm not going to live, like, nice knowing you, I went around shaking hands, it was great knowing you, tell my mom I love her, and then I realized something, oh, you, tomorrow, 24 hours from now, you... Uh-uh, I ain't got time. Like, if you're going to do me in, just do me in right now. I don't want to wait a whole day, but I did. So I left class, was unable to focus all day long. Just nervous, worried, like, I'm going to die. Like, Lord Jesus, what is happening? I'm going to die. And so I finally get to school the next day. And the beautiful thing about Miss Pinnock's class is that it was at the end of the day. So I had all day long to think about what was in store for me. And so I was tortured. I didn't pay attention to any class. I finally got to Miss Pinnock's class and uh, I didn't remember a thing that woman said. I just thought, uh, you're going to kill me. This is going to be fun. And so uh, finally the bell rings. Students leave and go home to enjoy the rest of their lives. And I walk up to Miss Pinnock's desk, slap my paper on there. I said, Miss Pinnock, you asked to speak to me today? Oh, this. Oh, Miss Pinnock, icy cold, I'm telling you. She looked at me, looked down at the paper, and then was silent for like a minute. Can you imagine the torture I felt in this moment? I'm just like, let's get on with this. I'm ready to go see my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's get on with this already. And she, like, I'm just feeling all sorts of nervous, sweating bullets, smelling terrible. And she finally looks up at me after what seems like an eternity, and she goes, well, Braden, I forgot why I put this. You forgot why you put this on my page. Like, Miss Penny, do you know what you have done to me all day long? And you, oh, I forgot. Oh, I'm about to forget my hand. No, I don't. No, I'm just kidding. That's, I'm just kidding. But I was like, can you, do you know the amount of torture you put me through all day? Like, I have been carrying around worry and fear and shame and anxiety all day long. Miss Penny. What is it about anxiety that seems to follow us around? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that anxiety seems to just go wherever you go? Uh, in fact, I was reading a study, and the study said that one out of every five people on planet Earth suffer with some sort of anxiety disorder. But at the bottom of that article, it said that those numbers may actually be outdated and that a, a, a more accurate number may say that one out of every three people on planet Earth suffer with some sort of anxiety. And uh, 
the bad news is that Christians are not exempt from this. Uh, in fact, it seems like following Jesus is the cause of some of our anxieties. Like, before I follow Jesus, if I wanted to cuss at you, I would. And I'd feel really good about it. Like, you make me upset, I'd cuss at you, I'd feel really good. I don't care how you felt, I don't care how God felt. I felt really good, so I'm going to go to sleep now. No problem. The problem is, after I decided to follow Jesus, I got the Holy Ghost in me now, and I can't just cuss you out because he's going to make me feel bad, and I'm not going to be able to go to sleep because I feel terrible. I'm not going to have any sort of peace because i got to apologize to you, and things just seem like they got worse. That's not better, Jesus. I feel terrible all the time. What's the deal? And Peter is saying, This suffering, this sort of mentality, this anxiousness, worriness, fear, it is shared. What does he say in verse 10? He's shared by your brotherhood. Following Jesus doesn't mean any of the suffering will actually go away. But if you're anything like me, like that doesn't bring you any comfort. Like it's not like, oh, everyone else is suffering. I feel perfect now. Like that's not how it works. But luckily, Peter gives us some insight on some practical ways to really take hold of our minds, to really conquer this thing called anxiety. So can I give you a few practical takeaways tonight? Uh, can I give you a few practical things to do to take back your mind? Can I do that tonight? Just a few practical. No one's saying yes. Okay, so I'm going to do it anyway. So here's the thing. If you want to take back your mind, the first thing I want you, if you're taking notes, this is what I want you to write down. You have to recognize and resist your triggers. Recognize and resist your triggers. Let's look back at verse 6. It says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he might exalt you, he might lift you up. Verse 7, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And then I want you to look at verse 8. Be sober-minded. Paul said, Peter is saying, stay alert. Be sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And look how verse 9 starts. Resist him. Peter's saying, stay alert, open your eyes, recognize what is going on around you. You see, I think we're too often surprised by our struggles. I mean, I don't, want, I don't mean to scare you, I don't mean to scare you off, but scripture's clear in saying that things are going to get worse and worse before Jesus comes back. Like, our path in him is going to be brighter and brighter, and our soul is so secure with him. Once we decide to follow Jesus, our soul is secure in him in eternal life. But the world around us, sorry to tell you, is going to get worse and worse. Things are going to get darker and darker. In fact, Jesus himself said, if things were bad for me, how do you think things are going to go for you? Not so good. You see, the reality of following Jesus is that it comes with a heavy cost, but... This is a big but. But the truth about many of our lives is that the suffering that we go through, the fear that we deal with, the anxieties that we go through, um, isn't really because of our Christian faith. It's because, how should I say this? It's because we're stupid sometimes. Like, Can I just be honest with you? Some of our sufferings that we go through in life, some of the anxiety and the worry and the fear, isn't because it's just the job description of following Jesus. Sometimes... These struggles that we go through is because, like, we stupid, okay? Can I just, like, say that? Um, First Peter says, the devil walks around like a roaring lion waiting to devour some, some of us. And some of us 
have just opened the door for him to come right on in. Like, come on in, devil. You know what I mean? You know what some of your triggers are? It's that screen you stare at all day. As if things, as if things aren't bad enough in our world, we invented a torture, I mean, communication device that we stare at all day long. We're constantly connected to everyone's opinions, uh, everyone's offenses, and we, we feed off of this stuff. You ever wonder why it's called a news feed? It's because we just continually feed off of it. And we feed our minds things that completely destroy and eat away at our peace. Just devours our peace, devours our joy, devours our contentment, devours our identity. And then I love Christians. Then we'll pray like, God, just bring me peace. Give me peace right after you just spent an hour clicking through, scrolling through things that steal away your peace. And then we pray to God, please, God, give me peace. Comparison, jealousy, worry. Anxiety, and we just invite this roaring lion right into our lives. But maybe it's not social media, maybe it's not a screen for you, maybe it's your friends. Maybe some of us in this room are saying, God, I just wish I was happier. I wish I had more joy. I wish my life was more fulfilling. I wish that I had a better sense of self identity. Amen. And then you go hang out with friends who all they do is gossip. All they do is start drama. All they want to do is talk about the things they're doing with their boyfriend or girlfriend behind closed doors. That's all they want to talk about. And you, want to, and you wonder why your life isn't filled with joy. Why you're discontent with your life that God has given you. Because you have opened that door and just said, Satan, come right on in. We have a responsibility to recognize and resist our triggers. Recognize and resist those things that we have opened the door for the enemy to come in and devour. You want to take back your minds? Recognize and resist those things that you're inviting the enemy into. and Resist it. That's number one. Number two, if you want to take back your mind, you need to humble your heart. You see, when we read 1 Peter, like we love verse 7, right? We're like, oh, cast your anxieties on the Lord and he, because he cares for you. I love that coffee cup. Love it so much. The problem with that is, is we can't have verse 7 without verse 6. See, verse 7 doesn't start after a period. Verse 7 starts after a comma, meaning that it's continuing a thought after verse 6. You know what verse 6 says? Ain't nobody like this verse. Let's read it. Humble yourself. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that, that at the proper time he might exalt you. Humble yourself. Ew. I don't like that. If you want to take back your mind, you have to humble your heart. You wonder why Peter uses that phrase, the hand, mighty hand of God. Like he could have said, like, why not the mighty authority of God? Why not the mighty, like, fist of God? Like his foot. Why not those things? Why the hand? You see, in Jewish culture, they would have understood the illustration that Peter was trying to talk about. We see this in Exodus 3. You can look at that later. But the hand of God signifies blessing. Remember Psalm 139? We read a few weeks ago. The blessing, the hand of blessing. The hand of God signifies blessing. It signifies strength. It signifies power. It signifies comfort. And it signifies control. You see, a lot of anxiety comes from confusion about who is in control. Can I tell you something tonight? It ain't you. 
We think that because God has given us responsibility, he has given us control. And nothing could be further from the truth. That's not how it is. See, God has given me responsibility for my finances. God has given me responsibility uh, for my life. God has given me responsibility for my family. He's given me responsibility on how I use my time. But here's what I want you to understand. He has given me responsibility, but I am not in control. He is in control, even though I have responsibility. I don't like that. I don't like that. I like control. Like, did you notice, like, on stage when I invited people, like, I love holding the mic. Like, I'm going to hold the mic. I don't care how much I like you. I'm holding the mic. Because there are some, like, imagine this. Imagine that there are some crazy Christians. Like, not in here, not at all. But imagine in life there might be some crazy Christians. I ain't giving this microphone. It ain't happening. And, like, sometimes you'll ask them a question, and they'll be like, I'll ask them a question. They're like, well, when I was three. And I'll be like, nope, we ain't got time to talk about when you were three. Ain't got that kind of time. I love having them. I love being in control. This is my microphone. I'm the mic stand. You ain't going for it. But the interesting thing is, the interesting thing is that I'm holding the mic, but there's a guy right now that you can't see, and he's sitting behind a soundboard. And his name is Trace. You know what's interesting? Is that I'm up here right now and I'm talking on the microphone. But at any moment, Trace can decide. At any moment, I can start talking about his mama. He won't know. But at any moment, if he wants, though I'm holding. Microphone, here's what I'm trying to say. Though I'm holding it, I'm not in control of it. Though God has given me responsibilities with family, with time, with finances, I am not in control. You know what casting our anxieties on him actually looks like? It's us saying, coming to God and saying, God, I'm scared out of my mind. My mind is crazy right now. I've got a whole bunch of worries and a whole bunch of fears. But here's what I do know. You are in control and not me. You know what humbling your heart under the that mighty hand of God looks like? It looks like you saying, God, in all the midst of craziness, in the midst of, I don't even know what's going on up here, in the midst of it all, you're in control and not me. Humble your hearts. That's number two. Number three, if you want to take back your minds, you need to remember the works of God in your life. You need to remember what God has already done for you. I want to look at Psalm 77. This is an amazing scripture. And it says this, and I want you to stay with me. It's kind of long, but I think it's amazing. You can kind of feel the chaos that David is feeling. And it says this, I cry out to God. Yes, I shout, oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long I prayed with hands lifted towards heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think, oh God, and I moan overwhelmed with longing for his help. You don't let me sleep. I am too distressed to even pray. I think of the good old days, long since ended, when my nights were filled with joyful songs. I searched my soul and ponder how different it is now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never be kind to me again? Is his unfailing love gone from me forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Can you feel the chaos? Has he forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? I said, this is my fate. The most highest turned his hand against me. But then I recall all that you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. 
They are constant in my thoughts, and I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. Oh, God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? For you are the God of great wonders. Has anyone ever felt like that before? Like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do right now? I don't know. My family's feeling like falling apart. My finances aren't my wallet anymore. Like friendships are crumbling. Like what am I going to do? Oh my gosh, I, I don't, what's going to happen if, and then you remember, oh yeah, God has always been faithful to me. He's taken care of me. It may not have exa- happened exactly how I wanted it to, but he's taken care of me. He's provided for me. may not have happened exactly how I wanted it to, but he provided for me. And what happens is that when we begin to fight life's fear with God's faithfulness, I promise you that fear will lose to faithfulness every time. When it's like, oh yeah, come on, that's so romantic, right? That's so cute. In fact, one of the most frightening times in my life was when I asked uh, Mandy to marry me. Uh, and I'll tell you why it's frightening, not because, not because of her, don't get the wrong idea. Uh, it was frightening because no longer could I just say, like, hey, I like you, you're cute, you're awesome, see you later. No, now it was Mandy Becker, I, that was her maiden name, by the way, Mandy Becker, I commit myself to you. The conversation had changed. I commit myself to you in wealth and in poverty, in the ups and the downs, in the good and the bad, I commit to you every moment of every day. And then I started thinking, wait, I'm committing to her in, in poverty? I'm committing to her in bad times? I'm committing to her in sickness? And then I began to get worried. Like, what if, like, what if things go bad? What if she finds out who I really am? Like, you guys don't know who I really am. What if she finds out who I really am? What if I lose a job and all my money goes away? What then? How is this going to work? How am I going to take care of a family? Oh, my gosh. What if she doesn't even like me? What if, like, us going away at night was, like, the only glue that held us together, but now she's going to know who I really am and she doesn't like me anymore? And then what if I can't just hold it all together? What if I'm not a good husband? What if I can't do this? And then I remember I'm not in control. And there came a point in my life where I told myself I wasn't going to live by the what if mentality. I was going to live by the I know who he is mentality. If God is who God says he is, and if God does what he says he's going to do, what do I have to fear? For those who don't know, I wrote my wife a song that I sang her when she walked down the aisle of our wedding. I thought I was going to be cool about it. Man, I cried like a baby. But I wrote a song. And in the song, there's a part of a song called A Bridge. And the bridge is like the turning point, the halfway point between a song. It's like this emphasized part of a song. And, and the words of this bridge were, If God works for our good, how could we lose? If God works for our good, How could we lose? And it was me saying that I am going to declare that over my future. I'm no longer going to let anxiety creep into my mind because I know Romans 8, 28 says that God is going to make all things work together for my good because I love him. And if all things are going to work out for my good, and if he is in control, not me, what do I have to fear? 
My favorite subject of all time is the faithfulness of God. I could talk about it all the time because there have been moments in my life where I had no idea how I was going to get through it, but I did because of God. There were moments where I didn't see any future in this, but there was a future because of God. And so now when anxiety and worry comes my way, you got nothing on Fear, you have nothing on my God who is faithful in every season. Anxiety, you've got nothing on me because I know God is good and he's for me. He's going to make all of this chaos work for good. What do I have to be concerned about? He's never failed me. I'm going to actually, I'm going to throw a curveball at you, band. Can you handle this? We're going to key of B. I want us to sing that song, Faithful to the End. I want us to sing that song because I love the lyrics to that song. There wasn't a day that you weren't by my side. I don't even know the rest of the words. That's all I remember right now. There won't be a day that you let me fall. All of my life, your love has been true. For all of my days, I will worship you. In the midst of fear, we battle it with his faithfulness. And fear will lose every time. Can I pray for you? Let's pray.